Dom was just so keen to get to the sermon, he was trying to get us there as fast as he could. <laughs> Thanks, Dom. We really appreciate your ministry. Amen? Amen. A few weeks ago, um, I mentioned, tell me a few topics that you'd like me to preach on, and somebody mentioned the sanctuary. So I was in the book of Hebrews this week, and I read a passage. I'm not sure if it was in our Sabbath school quarterly or not, but it really intrigued me, and that was the springboard for getting me into this topic today. So today we are going to go into the sanctuary. We're going to look at our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at some of his heavenly ministry today. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we take your word this morning, as we open it and try and understand what you are saying to us, Lord, whatever little we understand, may we apply it to our lives. May the Spirit of God do that and make us um, incredibly grateful people, Lord, for Jesus creating us, redeeming us, and being our high priest in heaven. We can go to him with all of our concerns, and each one of us is, on his ver is written on his very heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Studying the, the sanctuary topic in Scripture is a massive subject. Uh, you know that God came to the children of Israel and He wanted a special relationship with them. But they were a very sinful people, just as we are a very sinful people. Ha humanity seems to have that thing in common. We are sinful, right? God is holy. And so God is the one who dictates the terms and tells us how we can approach Him and how we can have a relationship with Him. And in the Old Testament, mainly in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, possibly something in Numbers there, these are the main passages that talk about, God says, let them make me a sanctuary, most of you know that by memory, that I may dwell amongst you or them. So, God, so Moses was given very explicit instructions on, how, on the design of that sanctuary and more importantly, the, the purposes that it would serve. I believe the main purpose of the, heaven, of the earthly sanctuary was to bring us close into that relationship with God. Now, in the text that I did from memory, there's a heavenly sanctuary and that's what we're going to talk about mainly today. What is Christ doing in the heavenly sanctuary? We're not going to cover every point. I probably won't spend a lot of time on judgment today, even though that is a very important aspect of Christ's work in the heavenly sanctuary. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Hebrews. And as we're doing that, I want us to think about... I want us to think about... Um, how this heavenly sanctuary can be of significance to us. I was actually thinking about that um, after I pretty much finished my preparation for today. I was saying, Lord, what's, what's, where is it re really relevant for us? And, I, and just off the top of my head, as we're going to the book of Hebrews, and I'll give you the page reference for that in just a moment. That's on page uh, 1862. Did I say 1844? What did I say? 
1862, page 1862. Don thinks I'm going to preach on 1844 today, but I'm not going to do that. So page 1862 is the passage that I want to be uh, our springboard this morning. I'm not going to spend much time on this passage, but this is what I was reading as this sanctuary theme started uh, clarifying in my mind. One of the things that I feel is important, and it came through very strongly in our study at 9.30 this morning, is who am I? Who am I? And this morning, it was strongly emphasized for those of us that studied this, um, that we are the product of the Creator's hand, where His handiwork were made in His image. And our lesson brought out that point a number of times that, that, that this is obviously very important. We're not the product of chance. We're not an accident. Every one of us was crafted by our Creator. I don't hear any hallelujahs on that one. Maybe you don't like the way you look. You don't like the way you sound. Some of you are too loud. Some of you are too quiet. Some of you are too fat. Some of you are too thin. Some of you are too, I also almost said handsome. Some of you are too beautiful. Two of you, some of you are just too ugly. Very few of us look in the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, I am the fairest of us all. Most of us do not have a good self-image, and we should. We should. Why? Because the Creator fashioned us. But He did more than that. This Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Creator, also redeemed us. And one of the things that you'll see in the text that we look at today is how often, and it's not an accident, I don't believe, but how often when it talks of Christ's work in the heavenly sanctuary, it also talks of his death on the cross. So don't think of them as just as separate events. Yes, in one sense, they are. But in another sense, they are a whole. They are a package together. Just like when we talk about um, justification and sanctification and glorification, we break it up so that our minds can begin to grasp some of these concepts. But in God's mind, even in the apostles Paul's writings, it's as though glorification has already taken place. Justification, sanctification, and glorification, one package. We can, we can distinguish. We should distinguish, but we should never separate. So I believe it's the same with this sanctuary theme, this heavenly sanctuary theme that we're going to discuss this morning. Okay, here's the passage. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Dreams, visions, prophetic statements from the many prophets, a lot of them that, that were orally communicated are not necessarily written down in the Bible. So God has had many, many prophets over the rolling centuries that have communicated something of His will. But in these last days, 
When did the last days start? When Messiah came, that's the new age that has dawned. When the Messiah came is the last days. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. I'd love to spend time on those verses because they are so rich, but I can't. I have to move on. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. You want to know what God the Father is like? Study Jesus. And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the Son creates and disappears, right? Wrong. It's not a deist. In deistic thinking, it's, and that's still somewhat popular in this day and age, God is the great clockmaker, the great watchmaker who creates this universe like is creating a clock. Everything is figured out. But then he steps back and he allows the clock just to tick on its own. This verse denies that. He creates and he sustains all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins. Now, that's an interesting word, purification. That is sanctuary language. So before he's ever got into the role of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's already using language about his death on the cross. Purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And it's that little phrase, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, that I want to look at briefly this morning. What are the implications of that? Now, I've started you in, in Hebrews, and that's where most of our text will be this morning, but I want to take you to one passage, so keep your finger in Hebrews, and I want to take you to one passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. What page is that? Page 1758. 1758. We're not really sure who wrote Hebrews. Ellen White says it was Paul. Some of the biblical scholars do believe it's Paul. Most of them don't. And there's various reasons. And I guess if it was important, it would have been, we would have been told who, who wrote the book of Hebrews. But we know who wrote the book of Romans. For sure, that was the apostle Paul. And Romans 8 is one of the greatest chapters anywhere in the Bible. And there is a verse there in verse 34, which fits in with our theme this morning. So I'm going to refer, refer us to this, spend a little bit of time on it, and then we're back into Hebrews. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, there's his death, linked, as you'll see, with his ministry in heaven. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, same phrase as we just saw in Hebrews 1.3, and is also doing what? Interceding for us. 
So it's a wonderful thing to know that you come from the hand of your Creator. It's certainly a glorious thing to know that He redeemed you on the cross. No hallelujahs on that one either. What's happened to the hallelujah chorus this morning? Where are they? Are they all in the Reading Church or in Palisadro? Down the road to Red Bluff? Where's the hallelujah chorus this morning? When I think about the, the mediation, the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary, I can't get anything but excited. It is so powerful. And I know it's not just Seventh-day Adventists that teach these things, but it is very special to Seventh-day Adventists what we're talking about this morning. We do have a lot to say, a lot of teaching on this subject. Okay, so the Lord Jesus Christ came, and as the representative of humanity, we had Adam that was the representative of humanity in the Garden of Eden, and he messed up. The legacy of sin came on the human race. That's not pretty. God sends the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father sends the Lord Jesus Christ to come as the representative of humanity, and he lives a perfect life, true or false. True, Jesus did not steal anything. He did not break any commandment in any way, shape, or form, whether that was a health law, a moral law, ceremonial law, or any other civil law. He kept the law perfectly. That was the gold standard, something you and I cannot do no matter how hard we try, not in our own strength. So the Lord Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly, and we know that it was part of God's plan for him, as we read in the Scripture, purification for sins, to die on the cross and to atone for the sins of the whole human race. So every man, woman, boy, and girl here this morning, no matter how much you have messed up, let me see the hands of those of you that have messed up. Now, some of you should be putting two hands up now especially if you have a background like I do. I told one of the, the uh, little stories in our Sabbath school class this morning. Uh, I was asked, well, about darkness. And this was a dark time in my life, a dark time when I thought I had everything a teenager would want. And in many ways I did, but there was, ah, there was something missing. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And it was that beautiful three-letter word, God, that was missing. So God put that desire in my heart. I'm not going to tell you the story now. Uh, you can come to my Sabbath school class. I'll repeat it next week. Uh, but a dark, dark time, and God brought light into my life. So Jesus Christ died for all of our sins, buries them in the bottom of the sea, so to speak, past, present, future sins. Do you believe that? Yes. All right. So, so, that, so that happened on the cross. And of course, the New Testament and the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, for example, is just full of this uh, sacrificial imagery, Jesus, the Passover lamb, dying for us. But he didn't remain on a cross. People didn't remain on crosses very long in those days. Jesus was put in the tomb, and he rose from the dead. This is like the cornerstone of Christianity now. 
The resurrection is really, really important. So we've talked of life, we've talked of death, we've talked of resurrection. Resurrection is one way of God putting his stamp of approval upon the life and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was pleased with it. It sufficed. It was more than enough for God the Father. So he was raised from the dead. We know, we can read about that in the New Testament. We can read about how he spent time with his disciples, and then he ascended up to heaven. So now we're getting closer to heaven. Now we're getting closer to this heavenly sanctuary. He rose, ascended up to heaven. Bible doesn't tell us a lot about that, but it is mentioned a number of times. And then he was crowned, so to speak. This heaven celebrated uh, the enthronement of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when it says he is placed at the right hand of God, do you remember the disciples saying to Jesus, can we sit on your right and we sit on your left? I mean, jockeying for these very important positions. Well, this is a way, maybe a Jewish way, I don't know, but it's a way of speaking to show that he's right there alongside of God the Father. And of course, that's what we believe uh, as Trinitarians, most of us are anyway, uh, believe in, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't believe that Jesus was, was created by the Father, right? He is fully God, whether is in human form or divine form, he is fully God. And as he ascended up to God, he ascends up as the God-man, divine, human, together. We won't get into that today, but it's important to make that distinction because in Hebrews, when we get back to Hebrews, there are some passages that specially mention his divinity, and there are some passages that specially mention his humanity as far as his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. Okay, so here in Romans 8, 34, there can be no condemnation. Why? Why can no one condemn you and I? We've done a lot of mistakes, certainly before we were Christians, but even after we've been Christians, right? Just Don? Jesse? Anyone else out there? Let me just talk with Don and Jesse for a moment. Your halos are slipping and you admit it. Their halos are slipping and they don't admit it. Why is that? Let me repeat it. We've sinned a lot before we came to Christ, right? And we've sinned a lot after we've come to Christ, right? Ah, now they're admitting it. It's the one thing we all have in common. None of us are sinless. So you better believe we need someone to die for our sins on the cross. I think that's pretty clear to you but we also need someone to mediate for us in heaven. That's going to be clear, hopefully, to you this morning. So Romans 8, 34, there can be no condemnation. He actually starts this section, chapter 8, verse 1, with no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because his life is your life. His death, your death. His resurrection, whose is that? Ours. His ascension, ours. And his ministry in heaven and whatever he, his reward, 
And whatever he celebrates in heaven, and whatever is given to him, is yours. It may not come through so clearly in this verse, but in other ones, like in Ephesians chapter 3, it comes through very, very clearly. So no condemnation, that should give us the assurance of our salvation. No condemnation, never can be, never will be for those in Christ Jesus. God sees you in Jesus Christ. And what is his is yours. So the death is mentioned, the resurrection is mentioned in this verse, the right hand of God, his ministry starting in heaven, and also interceding for us. One of your very favorite texts, which I'm not going to look at, 1 John 2, 1. If anyone sin sins, we talking to Christians, I pray that you will not sin. That should always be our message. But if you do sin, or when you do sin, we have an intercessor. So there's the word intercession, just like we've seen in Romans 8, 34. We have an intercessor who intercedes on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not just for us when he's on this earth. He's not just our representative when he was on this earth. He's for us, and he's our representative in the heavenly sanctuary. God is not trying to find flaws in you. He's not in the heavenly sanctuary with, with have you ever seen those mirrors? You can get them at Costco. That kind of magnify everything. They're about this size and they really, really, I mean, if you've got a spot on your face, this will appear really big. It's not like God has this great magnifying glass trying to find the flaws. God sees you in Christ. Christ is perfect. Christ is righteous. Christ has met all the demands of God. Where there are weaknesses in our character, which there certainly are, and whereas sanctification is the work of a lifetime, then we have the ministry of Christ plus the the intercession of Christ, plus the ministry and intercession of the Holy Spirit to mold us, to shape us, to get us ready for glory. Verse 26 of Romans 8, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the Trinity, if you want to use that word, which I don't very often, because it's a loaded term as far as church history is concerned, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all actively engaged in your salvation. Amen. Now, let me ask you this. Should we ever, ever question that the Father is against us when we know that the Son and the Holy Spirit are interceding for us. Now, some of the Puritans, which, and I like Puritans' writings very much, I think they were very godly people, many of them, they tended to explain this intercession of Christ that way, as though the Son had to appease the Father. 
So the name of Jim would come up, the name of Don would come up, and it's like the son has to put pressure on the father to really take you in. That's a, that's a, a, a really poor way, an unbiblical way of explaining uh, the plan of salvation and the ministry of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. The father sent the son. He knew exactly what he was doing. The son covered all the bases, met all the demands of a holy God. So father, son, and Holy Spirit in unison teach us that we are in Christ. All right, have I said enough about Romans 8.34? One of the things that we should clearly get from this is that the Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> and God himself does not condemn us. Okay, let's go back to Hebrews. Let's pick it up at verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications for sin, talking of his death on the cross, it skips the resurrection, it skips the ascension. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, one of the main reasons the book of Hebrews is written is why. Why was Hebrews written? If you have a good study Bible now before you, your, your introduction to the book, hopefully, will give you some good reasons why the book of Hebrews was written. I can give you a few just off the top of my head. The book of Hebrews was written because a, a bunch of Christians, probably Jewish Christians, were really feeling the heat. Tremendous pressure was upon them. They probably had their property taken from them. They'd probably been ostracized by their family. Maybe they'd lost their jobs. Not things that we would take very easily if it happened to us today. And they're ready to throw in the towel. And we don't want anyone to throw in the towel. Why? Because if we move away from Jesus, there is nowhere, there's no good place to go. Once you've found Christ, once you understand the implications of the life of Christ, there's really nowhere positive to go if you move away from him. So this is a book that is, is a kind of encouragement letter or sermon. Many think it's written as a sermon more so than a letter. A sermon to encourage these believers to press on to persevere. Let me tell you something. If you study, the, there's another topic coming up now, the perseverance of the faith of the saints. If you study that in Scripture, and Romans and Hebrews are good places to study it, you'll find it's one of the characteristics of God's people that they do persevere. It's like, almost like one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the, the demonstrations, one of the ways of knowing that the Holy Spirit is working in your life is that you do press on with Jesus. You don't just, just get excited, feel that you're saved, and then disappear. You press on. Very important concept. Okay, so Christ is where? He's at the right hand of the Father, and He's interceding for all the unfallen worlds out there. What does it say? for us. 
How many times do, does that phrase or similar phrases come up in Scripture? I think of when we have communion to, together, and I actually had one little talk that I did here, for us, that's what I called it, for us. Jesus isn't dying for himself. He isn't dying just to please the Father or please the Holy Spirit. He's dying for us, us who are sinners. And he's also ministering in heaven for us. Catch that. It's really, really important for us. Now, if that's the only two words you learn today, and you leave this sanctuary and you say, for me, you've got the most important thing, or one of the most important things. Jesus knows that these sinners turned saints need a lot of help. Anyone here this morning that needs spiritual help from Jesus? Oh, yeah. We need his power. We need his presence. We have a lot of needs. Just trying to live this Christian life will take everything you've got as far as commitment and dedication and giving God uh, your will and so on. So it's for us. All right, let's look at some text here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And I'm just going to look at a few passages here on his heavenly ministry. Um, it mentions in verse 12 that he calls us brothers, that he sings praises for us. Verse 13, here are the children that God has given me. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So we've said, without proving it, that Jesus was divine and human. Most of us believe that. Unique, God-man. Well, here's the humanity being stressed. Why is that being stressed? Because it's humans that are being tempted. We're being tempted by the world, by the flesh, and by the devil. So he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Praise God, the devil is finished. Still hanging around. We're in the kind of mopping up period before V-Day comes. D-Day has taken place on the cross. We're waiting for V or V-E-Day, do they call it? Second coming of Christ. So we're in this mopping up period the devil's in his death throes. That is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Now, if we would have carried on reading in chapter 1, we would have seen angels being mentioned in verse 4. We're not quite sure why angels are mentioned so much in this letter. There are some suggestions not that important as far as our topic this morning, but still interesting. There was a Jewish community called the Essenes. Ever heard of the Essenes? 
when we talk about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we try and figure out who preserved these and put them in these big uh, clay jars that they put them in, in this, hidden away in this cave, um, then we, we, most scholars say it was probably the Essenes, this Essenic community, who were very disappointed with the Jewish uh, leadership and wanted to, uh, like a remnant of a remnant idea, wanted to set up a community where they would take way more seriously than most Jews did the fact of being close to God. Purification was very important. When we find the archaeological remains where we think the Essenic community has been, we find many ritual baths that they would take. So they're cut out of the stone, and they would step into these different baths to be uh, spiritually clean. So the Essenes had a big emphasis, and we know this from some of their writings, on the ministry of angels. Now, let's talk briefly about that. Does the Bible talk about a ministry of angels? Yes, it talks of wicked angels. We're not too interested in them, though we should know their methods. And it talks a lot about good angels, right? So evil angels and good angels. So I'm sure that the community in, in the in Qumran community is what we call it. I'm sure that they believed in the good angels, and the Bible does speak about that. But we don't want to worship angels. And I did take the time last night to look at uh, what the Roman Catholic Church teaches about mediation. So that would make an interesting sermon. And of course, they, they see it quite differently than, than we see it. Yes, of course, Jesus had this this heavenly ministry and this heavenly intercession. And that was very important. But we also have the saints. Well, we have a problem right there because the saints in the Bible are you and me, those who believe in Jesus. But not so in the Catholic Church. They are very, very special believers. That's not biblical. It also is not biblical that they're living on in heaven and that we can pray to them and that we can ask for their help. That is not biblical either but it has developed over the years in the teachings of the Roman Catholic system. If you put the focus on Mary, Virgin Mary in heaven, if you put the focus on the angels or the saints in heaven, you take, whether you intend it or not, you take the glory away from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man in the heavenly sanctuary. You see, Often with heresy and wrong teaching, it's not that there's something so obviously wrong. It's usually some truth and a little bit of error. And that's where you get, that's where you get your heresy. That's where you get your false teaching. That's where you get the focus taken away from Jesus. And certainly that's a big issue in the book of Hebrews. This community had lost their focus. And the writer of Hebrews trying to refocus them and show that Jesus Christ here in his humanity, tempted in all points like we are, and yet without sin. He can rightly represent us because he was a human being. So, for 16, for surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, 
in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I'm not going to spend time on this, because I know, but I do know that some of us think Jesus really wasn't tempted in all points like we are. Number one, he was male and I'm female. Not me, but you. So how can a male know what a female is, how a female is tempted? Surely she's tempted in a different way than a male. Plus, many of the, there was not, probably not cocaine and heroin and marijuana being smoked in those days. Well, maybe there was, I don't know. But how could Jesus be tempted in all points? And the scripture really doesn't quite tell us how. But I do believe this. When a person like Jesus was tempted and, and the devil just threw everything, everything, came out with the big guns on Jesus, the fact that Jesus resisted that temptation as a, as, as a fully human being, we, usually we don't resist the temptation. Usually at some point we buckle, right? Jesus resisted every form of temptation that came his way. He knows, he knows, he can sympathize with the challenges that you and I have. And let me tell you, folks, those challenges are very varied. There are some folks here this morning that have inherited things from their parents that others in this room have not. We don't all, we're not all dealt the same deck of cards in that sense. Some of us have been fortunate enough to bring up in a up, been, been raised in a godly home, a godly Christian home. Is that an advantage or disadvantage? Tremendous advantage. I would have loved if my parents would have taught me about God. Maybe as a child, I would have become a believer in God. But whatever, whatever is challenging you this morning, whatever huge big temptation is there, you can go to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, and he's going to understand. So I don't just want to know, does God know me? I think that's really basic, the meaning of life, why am I here, what's the purpose, and so on. Yes, the, the Bible teaches God does know you, he created you, he redeemed you, and he's ministering in heaven for you. Your very name is close to his heart. Do you remember in the Old Testament, they would, they would take someone like Aaron and they would put this breastplate on him. And it had the names of the tribes of Israel on the breastplate, right close to his heart. What is that telling you and me about Jesus? All of this, Jesus said, all scripture testifies of me. All of this is telling us something. He's not just our high priest, he is our sympathetic high priest, our very name is inscribed on his heart. Let's go to another passage, Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll pick it up at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly 
to the faith we profess. So here it's hitting the nail right on the head. This Jewish community was, was almost throwing in the towel. They're on the edge. And the writer's telling them, hang in there. Stand firmly. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Okay, and that's similar to what we've already read, so let's not spend too much more time on that, but let's go to the next thought. Let us then approach the throne of grace with what? With boldness or confidence. Here's a message for Anderson Church this morning. We don't have that holy boldness that we should have. I really believe that God wants us to have that. Not, in, not arrogance. Not presumption. We're dealing with the God of the universe here. He's not just our buddy, right? He does say we're brothers. He does say we're friends. I call, you're no longer servants. I call you friends. So it's valid to use that kind of language. But, but we're also dealing with this holy, awesome God who controls this universe. So there has to be the, the respect and the reverence that should be there naturally from creator to creature. But there's also a thought coming in here of, 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 of access to God that's something we need to grab a hold of as fast as we can in our Christian life. I would love as part of a discipleship course for new believers, these kinds of truths to be taught. You need to learn early on in your Christian life that Jesus is always for you, that you can always come confidently. Uh, the Kennedys, they have photos of, uh, I think with Jack Kennedy, of, of one of his little boys in the Oval Office with him. I tell you, not anyone can just access the president in the Oval Office. But family, close family, father and son family can. <clears throat> and that's why the photo is out there and is very, very important. And the father's going to take time, <coughs> excuse me, for that little boy. <coughs> the little boy's going to come in with confidence, with boldness. Probably going to ask for outrageous things. <clears throat> Scripture teaches us to do the same. In the book of Ephesians, we won't go there for the sake of time. This idea comes through in chapter 3. <clears throat> I believe it's verse 12. Maybe somebody can look that up as I'm struggling with my voice here. Ricola. You've got to do what you've got to do, folks. If it takes a recaller to get through a sermon, that's what you have to do. So let us approach the throne of grace with timidity, with confidence, with holy boldness, <coughs> so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you want to study more, on the priestly ro role of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's obviously all the way through the book of Hebrews. It's also in the book of Revelation, 
chapter 5. And a very important passage, which I'm not going to go to, was when Jesus was on this earth in John chapter 17. And that, that prayer, one of the most beautiful prayers anywhere in Scripture, is sometimes called the, the priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, those that you have given me, that's us who believe, those that you have given me and will give me may be with me where I am. Can you imagine what that's like? What's it like? What's it like to live in a world, in an environment, in a place where you don't have to look over your shoulder ever? Where not only God is for you, but all created beings are for you. The angels, <coughs> the redeemed, everybody <coughs> is there to help one another. That's telling us a little bit something about the glory. <coughs> Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. I would encourage you to spend some time studying Jesus as our high priest. He's there in a position of power. He's interceding for us. Everyone in this room needs the blessings of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary. Another place where you can understand that is in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit. We're living in the age of God's Spirit. We are all priests. We're all priests in, in the kingdom of God. The book of Revelation tells us that. There's no excuse for any one of us not to be totally fruitful under the intercession of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> under the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be all that God wants us to be and more, much more, says the book of Romans. Let's thank God today that we have the perfect representative in heaven, the one who died for you, and your life, his life is your life, his death, your death, his resurrection, your resurrection. These are where the guarantee is right here. Your security is right here. You don't go, you never went to the holy sanctuary on earth <coughs> with boldness unless you did it God's way. You do it your own way, you grab the ark when it's falling, your own way, and you'll be destroyed, right? So we're doing it God's way. We're trusting and we're believing in Jesus Christ. So his heavenly ministry is our heavenly ministry, and one day he'll come back. Many of us believe it will be soon as king of kings, and Lord of Lords. He will gather His people, those that have died believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, no, ma no matter how they've struggled with sin, are going to be raised from the dead to meet the Lord in the air. And we who are alive, could it be in our generation? Why not? We, is, the, is the Lord waiting for this world to get more wicked? 
we who are alive will be raised, will go up with them to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord in his glory. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for representation. Without it, we'd be finished. We don't want to appear before you, Lord, in the nakedness of sin. We want to appear before you clothed with the righteous garments of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe many of us here, Lord, are trusting and are believing in Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that gift, that gift of God. But Lord, help us to build on our faith, to have this boldness and confidence. Lord, there's so much that you want to give us. Paul prays in Ephesians that the eyes of our understanding will be opened more and more each day, and that we'll understand the great blessings that you want to give to you. I pray for this Anderson Church family, Lord, those who are visiting today, those who are church members, everyone is so precious in your sight. Lord, if you look on us that way, help us to look on one another that way too and treat one another as we would our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he's ministering for us in heaven. Help us to study this, this uh, truth so that we can become more and more confident in our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us strength in our time of trial, in our, in our weakness, in our temptation, and help us to be strong, victorious Christians, fruitful for you. And when Christ comes back, Hear the words, well done, good, faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.